We do praise you, Father. We praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. And may you continue to be glorified this morning as we open our Bibles and as we are fed from the Word of God. Lord, I come to you uh, and confess before everybody here that I am one who is completely inadequate for the task that lies ahead of me. I only have a, a teaching gift because you've given it to me, and I ask that you would use it to encourage the body of Christ here at Bible Chapel. Build up the church, make it strong, that we may go and be salt and light to a lost dying, dark world. As so I pray for your empowerment, Holy Spirit, remove me from the equation and speak powerfully through me. Speak to the hearts and minds of everybody here and everybody listening and watching. And of course, to the end, that you will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Are we good up there? Frank, can you do me a favor or somebody? Turn this on. I don't know how to do this. I can't see it. I'm sorry. Get your Bibles out to Matthew 7, 15 to 20. We'll get through this today. I have to admit that as I have, um, I have never studied anything about false prophets, okay? And I did not realize how much the Bible has to say about false prophets. And so to, quite frankly, give you an accurate uh, picture, a full picture, or a biblical picture, really, of, of what Jesus was saying, the, the, the context, the, the history, and, and thus the context, and all that, it's, it's, I never thought it would take, I could do more sermons on this, but try to get through in two sermons, this idea of false prophets. Matthew seven fifteen to 20, Get your Bibles or your phones out. It says this, Beware of, false, of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Okay, just stay there. I'm going to begin. Um, and it's nice that in one sense that this is an older congregation because most of you were alive for this. There's some of you that were not, and so I'll have to give you a little history lesson here. Um, but I was researching this particular sermon and in, in these, these passages, um, and I came across this. This is a, a book called Deceived. It's about the 1978 Jonestown Massacre. Um, for those of you that do not uh, know of this tragedy, Jim Jones was a false prophet. He convinced 900 men, women, and children to commit suicide by drinking punch laced with poison. Uh, prior to the 9-11 attacks, this is really astounding, 
Jonestown was the single largest loss of U.S. civilian life in a non-natural disaster. Um, it's not fun, but here is, it is. Here's a photograph of the tragedy. Do you remember this, anybody? This is the punch, and you can see the container. Sorry, I couldn't make it any bigger. It'd be fuzzier. Um, and you know, this was obviously the poison right here. And they were in these cups. You can see them right here. And these are bodies. They voluntarily, for the most part, although some under off guard, took this poison and, to kill themselves, convinced by a false prophet. And I first heard about the book Deceived in a sermon from John MacArthur, and I want to read a portion of it from one of his sermons. Uh, it says, It will take years to unravel the mystery of Jonestown, the author wrote. There are no statistics gathered about the people who were brainwashed and deceived by the Reverend Jim Jones. There are no records available to us giving names, addresses, and personality profiles of those who came to the People's Temple Christian Church and stayed to die. The puzzle must be assembled piece by piece from the handful of surviving defectors and relatives of the dead. I ask each of my subjects to describe his religious background, hoping to prove that the converts to Joan's false version of the Christian faith might not have been deceived, and listen to this, if they had been exposed to some version of true Christian faith when they were children. I found, however, that they were exposed to Christian truth as children. In fact, in a long interview with Tim Stone, I got my first answer to my question. Tim was once the second most powerful man in People's Temple. Tim has a law degree from Stanford University and served as an assistant district attorney for San Francisco until he resigned to go to Jonestown in 1977. Tim defected from the cult last year and worked tirelessly until that awful Saturday in November to get his son, John Victor, age six, away from Jones and the jungle. For those of you who don't know, the church began in all places, I think it was in Indianapolis. There were some pro problems, so they went to California. There were more problems, so they fled to Guyana in South America. They're in a jungle trying to create this utopian uh, environment and culture and, and society. Now, according to eyewitness accounts, little John John, age six, John Victor, the son of Tim Stone, was found dead beside Joan's body. I was raised in a Christian home, Tim told me. My parents were fundamentalists, members of the General Association of Regular Baptists. I went to Sunday school and college all my young life. I attended Wheaton College, a leading evangelical Christian college in Illinois, and was involved in student leadership. When I moved to California, I joined and attended regularly the First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. For two years, I was the president of their Corinthians, a business and professional young adult group. I admired and respected their evangelical, yet socially concerned pastoral staff. I was also attending, I was attending First Presbyterian and also attending the People's Temple until I joined Jim Jones' staff. Gene Mills, another victim, was for seven years a member of the temple, one of Jones' writers, and a member of his planning commission. 
He said this, I attended or taught in my church's Christian education program from my childhood. When I was 18 years old, I was the leader of the Pathfinders Club, which had over 50 kids in it. I had 22 adults working under me. I could give you an answer from the Bible for any question. I knew the Bible backward and forward. At one point in my life, the minister tried to send me to college to become his Bible worker, and I was very dedicated to the church. Some of you might be thinking, these people are more committed than I am to their Christian faith. And yet, what happened to them? Wayne Patila, who was Jones' private bodyguard and driver, grew up in a Nazarene Sunday school. His wife and longtime member of the cult grew up in a charismatic church and attended Sunday school and church regularly. Bonnie Thielman, for six years a member of the temple, was the daughter of Assemblies of God missionaries to Brazil and attended Bethany College, a Lutheran school in Minnesota. Carolyn Moore was president of her Methodist Youth Fellowship Group, and she and her sister Annie were children of a Methodist minister, and both served as intimate Jones aides, and both died in Guyana. These people were raised, folks, in the church, exposed to sound Christian doctrine, and yet Jim Jones deceived them. Such is the deceitfulness of false prophets, and such is the reason why our Lord says what? Beware. Now, the writer of the book, Deceived, explained why people followed Jim Jones. He knew how to inspire hope. He was committed to people in need. He counseled prisoners and juvenile delinquents. He started a job placement center. He opened rest homes and homes for the retarded. He had a health clinic. He organized a vocational training center. He provided free legal aid. He founded a community center. He preached about God. He even claimed to cast out demons, do miracles, and heal. He was so deceitful that he deceived only 900 people to take their life in a jungle in Guyana. He also deceived politicians. Willie Brown, who would become the Speaker of the California State Assembly and then Mayor of San Francisco, compared Jim Jones to Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi. Harvey Milk, a politician from California, described Jonestown as a beautiful retirement community helping to alleviate the world food crisis. California Lieutenant Governor Mervyn Dimali actually made a pilgrimage to Jonestown that led to a gushing reaction typical of ideological tourists. Jim Jones deceived everyone who gave him plaques and honors and awards as a great civic and religious leader. He even deceived the president of the United States' wife at the time, Mrs. Rosalind Cotter, who was raised in Methodist and Baptist churches. Author David Cohn of San Diego State University and co-author of the book, The Cult That Died, The Tragedy of Jim Jones and the People's Temple, which was released in 1980, wrote this about Rosalind Carter. Rosalind Carter, wife of President Jimmy Carter, she became enthralled with Jim Jones when she visited San Francisco with then-Vice Presidential Candidate Walter Mondale during the 1976 campaign. She spoke from Jones' pulpit and also had a private dinner with him at a posh San Francisco restaurant. They continued to correspond by letter after that. Rosalind was obviously captivated with Jim Jones. She even arranged uh, correspondence between her sister and Jim Jones. Now, Jim Jones gives us the subtlety, or a picture of the subtlety and deceitfulness of false prophets. 
Now, he wasn't the first false prophet, and he won't be the last. Jesus warns us that many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Folks, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Now, it is because of this that our Lord provides his followers, thankfully, with tools that, are, that we have that are necessary to recognize these charlatans. And he begins by telling us that we'll know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 16. You know, one question that we have to answer, and we're going to begin this morning with, is this. What does Jesus mean by fruit? I don't want to complicate this answer, okay? But I do want to give you a biblical answer. So I'm trying to take a lot of information and kind of delve it down into its simplest, basic form. But we can recognize, for example, just a physical tree by the fruit, because that's what a tree produces. An apple tree produces apples. A pear tree produces pears. Okay? But how do we recognize a false prophet? Well, look at his fruit, Jesus says. And by fruit, this is what he means. Lifestyle. And by lifestyle, I mean this. Our lifestyle reveals our heart because we live from the heart, right? And within our hearts is what? Our attitudes reside there. That's where our thoughts Motives and feelings, things that we can't see, others can't see. So there's attitudes, and these attitudes are revealed by what? Our actions, by what we do. For example, this is a spirit-filled Christian's attitude. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's the attitude. And that attitude is revealed by a lifestyle or an action of, for example, loving everybody, even your enemies, of joy in every circumstance, of intentionally striving to bring about peace with others, of enduring patience with difficult relationships, of generous kindness to friend and foe. It goes on and on and on. So the attitude drives the action, okay? The attitude from the heart drives the action or the lifestyle. This is why John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, prove that this baptism of repentance that you just participated in by living a changed life. That's a repentance lifestyle. The changed life, the action, is the fruit that can only come from a transformed heart. That's the attitude. So again, fruit is a lifestyle. What we think and feel, it's an attitude. And what we say and do, and that's the action. Now, in the same manner, we will know a false prophet by his lifestyle. And that's Jesus' point in verses 16 to 18. You will know them by their fruits, right? Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. And let me suggest to you that what I have read in, in the Bible and in other sermons this week and in various commentaries about how to practically identify a false prophet through his fruit. Okay? And we must first identify a false prophet by his character. Watch the prophet's character as it becomes known because, folks, whatever is in his or her heart will come out. You know this from experience. The issues you have in your life, in your heart, play out in your lives, in your marriages, in your work, 
and so on. You cannot get righteous fruit from a wicked tree. I want to go back to the book Deceived. This is what the author wrote of Jim Jones' character. He says, but on the other hand, we find all the marks of a false prophet. He promoted himself through the use of celebrities, a very common vehicle for false prophets to gain credibility. He manipulated the press. He wanted certain favorable stories. He pretended to be a Christian. He officiated a in the Disciples of Christ Church, having been ordained by them in 1964. He used a language in the forms of faith to gain his power. He used fundamentalist Pentecostal trappings and always spoke in biblical language. He had his people sing and give testimonies as to how he had miraculously healed them. He created a warm, loving, pseudo-Christian community without Christ. He demanded absolute and total loyalty. He gave away anointed gifts, miracle blessings, prayer clause, and always demanded money in return. He was in it for the money. He was utterly, totally consumed with a preoccupation towards sex, and not only sex in a sinful way, but sex in a deviant way. He lied constantly and continually about everything. His followers claimed that he wanted to be called Father, with a capital F, forced them to give up their homes in custody of their children to join him and often beat them. On November 18, 1978, you know if you remember this, U.S. Representative Leo Ryan traveled to Jonestown to investigate claims of abuse. He was murdered, along with four other members of his delegation by Jim Jones. Jones then ordered his followers to ingest poison lace punch with armed guards stood by. This was Jim Jones. You can go, and I looked up Tim Stone, there's an article on him. There was a, um, a hit put out on him by Jim Jones, and he was, there's audio that you can listen to, and you see the vulgar language coming out of Jim Jones. Um, Tim Stone is still alive, by the way. Now, the Apostle Peter writes of these character traits, okay? Again, like I said this morning in Sunday school, this isn't anything new. I put this verse up here for you guys to see. Look at this. This is from 2 Peter. It said, many, and that's, there's be a lot of false prophets, but a lot of people will follow their sensuality. Sensuality means that they're just filled with sexual desire. There's an obsession with sex. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Verse 10, those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, having eyes full of adultery, having a heart trained in greed. So we see this idea of of sexual immorality, we see greed, we see a rejection of authority, okay? You'll see false uh, teaching in this. Jude says the same thing, by the way, it's a parallel passage to this in Jude 4, 7, and 11. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Same word, it means the same thing, you're filled with sexual desire. And notice the, the image he uses, Sodom and Gomorrah, which of course was filled with sexual immorality. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah in the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulge in gross immorality, went after strange flesh. Verse 11, woe to them, it's a curse. They've gone the way of Cain. What was Cain known for? He was the first murderer. And for pay, greed, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. Sexual morality, greed, insubordination, murder, hallmark signs of the lifestyle of a false prophet. And those are the ones that are pretty easy to spot, by the way. There are others that aren't as easy to spot. 
Now we find these same traits in the lifestyle of another false prophet. Vernon Howe joined the Seventh-day Adventist church and eventually joined the branch of that church called Branch Davidians when he was 22 years old, soon became enmeshed in an affair with the group's president, Lois Roden, then in her 60s. He reportedly told her he was destined to father a child with her. He tried to seize control of the group after Lois passed away, literally fighting her son George for control. During this fight, Roden was shot in the chest and hands. Hal was tried for attempted murder, but was let go after a mistrial. And with Roden out of the picture, Hal moved quickly to assert his spiritual authority. And one of his first acts was the adoption of a new name, David Koresh. This name suggested that he was a spiritual heir to the biblical king David, and that he, like Koresh, the Hebrew word for Cyrus, the ancient Persian king, was a messianic figure. Koresh has experienced Koresh, Koresh exercised his new authority by taking several spiritual wives from among the group's unmarried members. And in 1989, he asserted that he was the perfect mate for all female members. And he invited to the Davidians his intention to create a new lineage of children whom he believed would eventually rule the world. Waco survivors reported various forms of insidious child abuse with girls as young as 11 being forced to have sex with Koresh. And on February 18th, or February 28th, 1993, do you guys remember this? This controversial, self-proclaimed prophet, the leader of the Branch Davidians, again, an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists, was living in a compound in Waco, Texas, in response to reports that the Davidians had been stockpiling illegal weapons. Remember what happened? At their compound, in preparation for the end of the world, Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms agents raided the property. Their goal to search the premises and arrest Koresh for unlawful weapons possession. But of course that plan went south very fast. Four federal agents and six Branch Davidians dying in a chaotic shootout. The FBI then became embroiled in a 51-day standoff with Koresh. Remember seeing it in the news, the nightly news? On April 19, 1993, in an attempt to lure Koresh and his followers out, agents took decisive action. Remember, they rammed the building with tanks and launched a tear gas assault, and the structure caught fire. 76 Branch Davidians, which included 28 children, died in the flames. You remember this? I remember watching that. I mean, who couldn't? I mean, it was all over the news. David Koresh had all the marks of a false prophet. Like Jim Jones and Koresh, we find violent behavior. Jude one eleven, he followed the way of Cain, he was a murderer. We find immorality, an obsession with sex, leading to all kinds of sexual morality. We find uh, insubordination, they reject authority. We find irreverence, he claimed to be the Messiah. These are the character traits of a false prophet. So look for those character traits in false prophet. But also, I would say to this, look for what we call, you've heard this before, a beatitude attitude. Remember that? What is a beatitude attitude? Because that, if you have that beatitude attitude, that will be evidence of an internal transformation. In other words, do they cower in poor in spirit? Do they show deep humility? Or are they mourning over sin 
Is there evidence that they are hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Is there a longing for mercy and to give mercy? Are they striving to be a peacemaker? Is there a willingness to be persecuted and reviled and despised and hated for the sake of Christ? When in the case of a false prophet, the answer is most definitely no to those questions. False prophets are guided by pride, power, prestige, and personality. They want to be popular, folks. They do not want to be persecuted. This is why Jim Jones committed suicide rather than answer for his crimes. Same thing for David Koresh. Now Jude adds further insight into this that is helpful in identifying a false prophet. I think I put this verse up here. Yes, this is Jude 11. It says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Three people, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. They are th- these three model what contemporary false prophets do. I don't have time to go through it, but I mean, you know a little bit about the history of Cain, right? He would be considered a model of one who disobeyed God. Remember, he came to God with his own type of sacrifice. He's a picture of man-made religion. And he was the original apostate, original false prophet. Dinos, it goes to Balaam. Balaam was the false prophet for hire that was hired to put a curse on the people of Israel as they were entering the promised land. And it didn't work, and so he decided to deceive the people by causing the, the Hebrew men to fall in love with the foreign wives, which would lead to not only adultery and all sorts of types of sexual morality, but also to idol worship, and it brought the curse of God on them. So Balaam is a model of one who tries to influence others to disobey God. It ends up with Korah. Korah was a Levite. He should have been a, a priest. He didn't cut it. There was something wrong with him, so he led a rebellion against Moses, saying that we're all holy. I mean, we all can hear from God. We don't need one spiritual leader. And he and a few others led this rebellion, and they died, along with 15,000 other people. Remember, that's where the ground opened up and swallowed them, and then a plague came upon the rest. Korah led a full rebellion, and extended, it ended in destruction. So again, false prophets and teachers and heretics and apostates, they're the spiritual children of Cain and Balaam and Korah. Did you, do you see the pattern there? They first disobey God, they then cause others to disobey God, and what's the end? Destruction. Now this leads to the second identification marker of a false prophet, and that is the content. I mean, the content of their message, their doctrine. And by the way, this is where one is first exposed to a false prophet. Isaiah 8.20 says this, to the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, is because there is no light in them. In 2 Peter 2, 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. You find a man who does not teach from the word of God or teaches error from the word of God, and you just found a false prophet. What about Jim Jones and David Koresh? Well, Jim Jones, he replaced Jesus as the authority figure in his movement. And he went so far as to say that he was Jesus. He used the Bible, quoted it very often, 
but perverting it to his own ends. David Koresh, his interpretation of the Bible rested largely on identifying himself as with the lamb mentioned in Revelation 5, which of course traditionally is the lamb is Jesus Christ. He too used the Bible, perverting it to his own ends. My point is this, both of these men had a twisted view of Jesus Christ, particularly Jesus' personhood and his work. And by his work, I mean his work of earning our salvation on the cross. So when you get into dealing with a false prophet, look at their doctrine of salvation. Specifically, they widen the narrow gate in the narrow way. Now, Arthur Pink, A.W. Pink, he said this, which is very helpful. He says, false prophets are to be found in the circles of the most orthodox. They pretend to have a fervent love for souls, yet they fatally delude multitudes concerning the way of salvation. The pulpit, platform, and pamphlet hucksters have so wantonly lowered the standard of divine holiness and so adulterated the gospel in order to make it palatable to the carnal mind. Certain it is, my reader, that any preacher who rejects God's law, who denies repentance to be a condition of salvation, who assures the giddy and godless that they are loved by God, who declares that saving faith is nothing more than an act of the will which every person has the power to perform, is a false prophet and should be shunned like a deadly plague. And however, this applies, though, that you already know sound doctrine, right? If you're going to know their content, you yourselves need to know the truth. You will never spot a false prophet by the content of his message if you yourself don't know true doctrine. How many of those people grew up in the church that I just read to you? I mean, I, oh, most of them did. They obviously didn't take it and internalize it and really know it. Because knowing it, it's the remedy. This is what Jews' remedy is for the poison of false prophets. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You are doing your work. You're building yourself up in the faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. This was the same advice of Paul he gave to Timothy regarding false teachers to constantly be nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, 1 Timothy 4, 6. I think what I'm saying here is, folks, is that you can come to church, you can hear my messages, you can come to Sunday school and center my teaching. If it doesn't go from here, outside the parking lot, to every area of your life, then guess what? you could end up deceived following a false prophet. This is simply a time for you to be encouraged. Time for you to grow, that's on you and the Lord. And these people were deceived. And don't think you can't be deceived. Now this church is called Bible Chapel. By name, one would assume we teach sound doctrine from the Bible. So, let's see how well we know our doctrine, shall we? Oh boy. I'm going to read to you from some doctrine, or some doctrine from a false prophet, and let's see how long it takes the congregation to identify the false religion. 
Okay? This is regarding the Trinity. And if you think you know, don't say anything. I'll have you raise your hand. So just be quiet. Okay? Regarding the Trinity, this particular false religion, they believe in the divinity of Christ, but he received that divinity as a gift from the Father after dying on the cross. They also believe that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but the manifestation of God's power. If you think you know which false religion this is, raise your hand. Higher. Roseanne, think you're the only one? Think you know? Uh, Not too sure, okay. Okay. Put your hands down. I I got you in my mind. I'm joking with you there. Regarding Christ's second coming, they believe that Christ, and these will get easier, by the way. And the third one will we'll, we'll tell it if you know it at all. They believe that Christ had returned visibly in October of 1874. When that didn't happen, they changed the date to 1914 and that he had been ruling from heaven since that date. Do you know which false religion I'm talking about? Okay. This one will give it away, and I hope they'll see more hands go up with this one. And if not, you don't know it, that's... I don't want to make fun of you or anything or say it's, it's right and good because you should know it, but at the same time, I understand that you may not know it. Regarding hell, there was a heavenly resurrection of 144,000 righteous, as well as a great multitude, but believed that the remainder of mankind slept in death, awaiting an earthly resurrection rather than suffering in a literal hell. Who do you think you know this group is, or this false religion now? Now everyone raise their hands that thinks they know. Okay. What, say it. What is it? Anyone else? Mormons? Mormons? Jehovah's Witness? Anyone else? What? Catholic? Seventh-day Adventist? The answer is Jehovah's Witness. Now, if you know this one, you're good. You're going to heaven, and you can just... Do whatever you want to do, all right? You're, you're good. Okay. Who was their original false prophet? Who was the original false prophet of Jehovah's Witness? Yep. Charles Taze Russell, an American Christ, <coughs> Christian restorationist minister from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Founder was now known as the Bible Student Movement in July of 1879, began publishing a monthly religious magazine, Zion's Watchtower, in Herald of Christ's Presence. Now, I want to say this though. It is here that I feel compelled to remind you of our Lord's words in Matthew 7:15: Beware of false prophets. Charles Taze Russell, or Pastor Russell, was not a murderer. He was not a sexually immoral person. He was not in it for the pay. But nonetheless, he was what? A false prophet. Again, the word beware, it's a very strong word from our Lord. It means hold your mind back from. Remember I told you last week, don't even expose your mind to the influence of a false prophet. See, this was the heir of Tim Stone. Remember the lore I told you that got involved with Jonestown? or Jim Jones and the people's religion there. He is a Stanford University law graduate. He attended what? The First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley and the People's Temple. Exposing his mind 
to the false doctrine, the false teaching of Jim Jones. And there was a heavy price that he paid, right? It cost him the life of his six-year-old son. See, there is something almost intoxicating about a false prophet that people find attractive. Especially the weak-willed or weak-minded find these false prophets irresistible because they're the target of the false prophet. That's why Peter says that they entice, those false prophets entice unstable souls. 2 Peter 2.14. So look very carefully into the character and the content of the false prophet or else you fall under their contagious doctrine. Now perhaps this is the reason behind Jude's warning. I think I put this verse up here today. Yes. When I discovered this, this was fascinating. Jude writes this in, in speaking of people who are under the influence of a false prophet or false teacher. It says, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So you know somebody that's under the influence of a false prophet, or maybe a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon comes to your door, okay? And speaking of sharing the gospel with those under the influence of a false prophet, Jude identifies three types of followers. Number one, that's in verse 22, the confused. See, they're doubting. That means confused. That's the confused follower. They're listening to the false prophet, but they have doubts. He says, to these we show mercy. Mercy here means you're sharing the gospel with them. That's what mercy is. You present the gospel to them. Then you have number two in verse 23, they're converted. These are the ones who have listened and are now following the false prophet. With these we are to be more aggressive. We save them by only how? You snatch them out and see they're in the fire. You gotta quickly pull them out of the fire. But there's a danger that you too could get burned, right? Then you have the final group, the third group. They are the committed. That's the end of verse 23. Think of them as the ones that are in leadership. What does it say here? With these we are to show mercy, and mercy is what? Share the gospel. But do it how? With fear. Now what does that mean? Fear of what? Fear of being swept up into the false teaching and believing the lies of the false prophet because it is so contagious. It's so powerful. It's so deceptive. Now, the apostle John had this to say about false prophets. And I don't know if you can read that, but it's 2 John 7 through 11. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, meaning false prophets, who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. I told you they would not acknowledge Jesus Christ. This is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves. So that's our job. Watch yourselves. That you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching. He has both a father and a son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home or house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. So there are many deceivers, 
False prophets are everywhere. They deny the deity of Christ. They do not hold a biblical view of who Christ is and what he does. What do you do with the false prophet? First, it says recognize that he is what? A deceiver and the Antichrist. Second, watch yourselves. You see that? That means kind of do a self-examination. Watch this so that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Do you see what John is saying here, folks? Beware that you could get pulled into the deceit and then forfeit the reward that you have already earned in your service to Christ. You lose your reward, folks. Get sucked into the teaching and lies of a false prophet. I mean, you're not going to lose your salvation. If you're a true believer, you're just going to lose your reward. Now watch this. It's even worse. So if anyone comes to you that does not hold the sound doctrine, i.e. the teachings of Christ, he says, don't even receive them into your house. Well, why? Because you do not want your mind exposed to what? Their lies, yes. In fact, he says, watch, do not even what? Greet them. That means Godspeed or good luck or have a good day. Don't even say that to them. Why? You become an accomplice to his evil deeds. I mean, are you seeing how serious our Lord is about false prophets? <coughs> I mean, because the false prophet is so wicked, I mean, don't open the door of your house to him. Don't even greet them. They are that wretched and deadly. So don't even run the risk of staining your garment with his, in their presence. We'll close real briefly with this, these two points. You'll know them by their converts. You want to know about a leader? Look at his followers. Peter said, many shall follow their sensual ways. So their fruit is their converts. I mean, look at the followers' lives. Do you see humility in their lives? Do you see a striving after holiness? Do you see a hungry and thirsting for righteousness? In 1881... Pastor Russell co-founded Zion's Watch, Tower Track Society. After his death, those who maintained fellowship with the Watchtower adopted the name what? Jehovah's Witnesses in 1931. How many of you have seen Jehovah's Witnesses at the airport or they come to your home and they are still around? And if you know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses, guess what? then you know something about Charles Taze Russell. So you'll know them by their converts. And the final point, the final C, is this. It's the word certain. God has ordained that false prophets exist. Did you know that? In 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, it says this, for there must, there must, there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. The word factions there does not mean like divisions. It means heresies. There must be heresies. Well, who is presenting the heresies within the church? The false prophets and teachers. Well, why? Well, in order that those who are true disciples may be evident. So heresy then becomes a magnet it pulls away the false disciples and leaves manifest the true disciples. 
And by means of true and false prophets, God reveals who's genuine, who are his. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 12, it says this, for this reason, God will send what? A deluding influence so that they will not believe what is, so they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So God sends a delusion to separate the wheat and chaff, believers and unbelievers. God wants that delusion because it becomes a dividing line between those who accept Jesus Christ and those who reject Jesus Christ. And it sets the stage for their ordained judgment. Now the other thing, not only is it certain that they're gonna be false prophets, it's certain that they will be judged. And I, it's, you can't really know a false prophet by their judgment because it hasn't happened yet. But you certainly know them by their character, their content, and by their converts. But it's over and over again, you'll find out that everything that is in the New Testament that's tied to a false prophet, it's always associated with their judgment. Just listen to Peter's words. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and of course that sin was what? When they became down in Genesis 6 and they cohabitated with women. For those angels cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. They are being reserved in a pit. And when he judges, they'll be brought out of that pit and then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So he, what they did was so bad, I'm going to bind you, and I'm reserving a judgment for you. I haven't forgotten about you. You have a reservation. Here's your reservation, because it's coming. And God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others. And of course, why did he destroy the old world, the ancient world? Because every thought and intention of the heart was evil. He brought about a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Third example, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example of those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, a certain judgment for them. Then the Lord, verse 9, knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So he keeps the unrighteous. They can't do anything. I'm keeping you. You are reserved for judgment. And you watch this, verse 10. And especially those who indulge the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Who's he talking about there? False prophets. He has a, they have a reservation for a strict judgment. In other words, I think that there is a hotter place in hell for false prophets. And it's because, amongst other things, they're obscuring the narrow gate in the narrow way. He goes on to say, will, these false prophets, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed? Verse 13, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. So folks, we have been warned. We must now stand guard and watch. Jim Jones and David Koresh, the prototypical false prophets that are easy to identify. You have Pastor Charles Russell, known by his content and his followers, not his character. 
all three false prophets. But many of these false prophets, unlike Jim Jones and David Koresh, they're gonna look like the real thing. Pleasant and sincere people, they talk about Jesus, the Bible, and salvation. They're completely inoffensive, wanting to please everybody and accommodate other people's viewpoints, so they're rarely critical of others, and they're praised by many and condemned by few. They have large crowds that gather around them and listen to their message and believe their lies, but don't forget, folks, not for one moment, don't forget that despise all their trappings, all they are doing is shoving these large crowds through the wide gate onto the broad way that leads to destruction. It is sad. So beware. And that's the application point. Beware of false prophets. And there was so much more I could have gotten into, but we'd be here a lot longer, and I don't want to do that to you. I do, are you, would you like to speak, John? You mentioned something last week. You want to still speak? Yeah, we've got a few minutes. Why don't you come on up? I didn't go as far as long as I thought it would. You want to come on up? Well, you'll stay there. Okay. Um, let me give you this then so we can have this. I know. So I want to have Mark give this to John. He came to me with something he wanted to share last week about uh, false prophets, and I thought it was, was good. And so, and I'm going to help interpret it for him because he's, sometimes it's hard for him to find the right words. It's on, so just hold up to your mouth. You're good to go. Uh, my, my name is John. Microphone up. Just one second. <laughs> my name is John. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. It won't be recorded, though. Put it right oh, recorded. Jim Jones and um, David Koresh.
comparing with the comparing with the beast, these two prophets are minuscule or microscopic or microscopic. So how can okay? Then we know in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Micah, there are uh, we we can read about the punishment for the false prophets. God God punishment for them. We don't uh, spend time. Uh, everybody can read at home. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 13 and the Micah uh, chapter Micah uh, Micah M I C H A H chapter three from eight from chapter five from verse five to eight and even verse eleven. Okay, what happened with people who accept the false prophecy? Who, what happened with the people who accept the false prophecy? Yes? Mm -hmm. Please, uh, Brother Press, uh, I, I call him Brother <laughs> Fine. Uh, please read uh, Jeremiah 5, 3 and 31. Jeremiah 5, 31. I do not have a Bible up here. Someone can go get that. In the meantime, while they read that, can you share your, your um, prayer that you were praying? About wanting to know about false prophets and false yes, doctrine. Yes, I, I, yes, okay. okay. So Jeremiah five, thirty and thirty one. Okay. I got it right here. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? So the people are deceived by the false prophets. I'm talking now about what happened because we are the generation that we are facing will be facing the the big deceiver, the beast that comes out from the earth and who performs miracle signs to deceive everybody in order to accept the mark of the beast and to worship the image of the beast. So this uh, great the greatest of all false prophets ever will perform miracles. Again, what happened with people who accept who accept the false prophecy? Please read also uh, Jeremiah 14, from 14 to 16. Okay. Jeremiah 14, from verses 14, 15, and 16. Okay. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood of my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor speaking to them, nor spoken to them, because they are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and deception of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they will keep saying, there will be no sword or famine in the land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. People to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and there will be no one to bury them, neither them nor their wives nor their sons nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. Terrible things will, hap will, will happen for, uh, for the people who accept false prophecy. Terrible things will happen, yes? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Now, very few words. Now, how can we discern? Before 2013, I prayed for almost two years. God, please give me the ability to make a discernment, to make a separation, to make the difference between the, the voice of Holy Spirit and the whisper of, a, of, of, a, of evil. Amen. Give me the ability. I asked God for maybe for almost two years. And I, in my mind, I was expecting the God to give me the formula, like a mathematical formula. <laughs> no, the God didn't give me any, uh, any Newton's uh, law. Uh, so, uh, I was in Romania, and while I was shaving, in the morning, I, while I was shaving, the way you hear me, the way you hear me, I heard a voice saying, and who wants to take notes, please do it. It's for the benefit of any Christian people. The way it said, any prophecy, any religious uh, work and performance that don't have the target to transfer Jesus' divine nature in your life is not for me. Any prophecy, again I repeat, any prophecies, any any work, any religious work that don't have the target and the result, Jesus, divine nature, to be transplanted in your in your life, in your spirit, is not for me. Is not for me. So again. The greatest deceiver is the false prophet that we are, we are the generation that will be facing him. He will perform terrible miracles, bring fire from heaven. But is this from Jesus' uh, 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 glory? It's not from Jesus' glory. Does it have the power to transfer, to transplant Jesus' divine nature in my life? Does not have the power to do it does not have the power to So, I want each of you to be victorious. Victorious? Yes. Victorious. To overcome the, the deceiving work of the false prophet. Amen. Yes? Yes. Amen. Now please read uh, Revelation 19, verse 20. 20. This is funny because I'm always having you guys do this. Nineteen verse twenty. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. Cannot do. He cannot be efficient. He can be effective without the the work of the false prophet. Mm. He, 
Shikhat uh, to enlighten each one of us with the full of the light of Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. With that one, I pray and we'll, we'll close this, this morning. Father, I've, I've prayed this morning and I'll pray again really what John was saying in the sense of we need you to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Give us that deep experiential understanding and knowledge of, of you, one that's really kind of bore down to our bones, the very basic structure of who we are. May your doctrine and your truth be so much a part of our lives, it's just so evident by who we are. And the only way that we will be free is if we know the truth. And so may we saturate ourselves with the truth this day and the rest of the days of our lives. And may we beware of false prophets. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. Well, enjoy your Sunday. God bless you. <laughs>